Torkel Patterson is a member of the board of Central Japan Railway Company, which operates the iconic Shinkansen between Tokyo and Osaka and is developing the world's first superconducting maglev line. Mr. Patterson previously served for more than six years with Raytheon Company, including more than four years as president Raytheon International Incorporated, leading Raytheon's international business development, as well as serving in a variety of posts in the U.S. government in three administrations. Ed Blakely is a former Washington insider, an internationally recognized leader in urban development and planning, advisor and author. Well, Torkel Patterson, uh, you've been around the world, literally, and sometimes on fast trains. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, I, uh, as you can tell by my voice, I'm an American and I grew up in the Navy, uh, but somehow in my later career, I, uh, after I finished government in the private uh, Company, U.S. private companies, I got involved with Japan High-Speed Rail Company, one of the, the premier one, uh, Central Japan Railway, which operates the bullet train between Tokyo and Osaka. And uh, that has led uh, with the chairman there, and that's led me to an association, which has resulted in me being on the board of JRC and also uh, one of the founders and vice chairman now of something called the International High-Speed Rail Association. Hmm. Well, the International High Speed Rail Association, um, uh, a, a good friend of mine, um, uh, what's Bob's last name, uh, from New York, uh, is chairman of that association there. Um, and uh, they've been trying to get high speed rail on the East Coast for so long. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, you know, to persuade governments, you know, we, I tend to think of it as, um, uh, and in IRA, the International High Speed Rail Association, we, we call it, we have a tagline that we say, it's not about transportation, it's about transformation. Yes, yes, yes. So you have to think of it from, you know, you're not funding another way to move people, you're paying a very large amount of money to transform your society and make it work better. And that's why you should invest in high-speed rail. It'll make things better. It'll reduce congestion. It'll make new city environments. It'll help strengthen the economic capacity. So we looked at all the you know, viable city pairs around the world, and we try to focus on those viable city pairs. And so Australia- What do you Melbourne, mean by city, city pair? Like Sydney, Melbourne? City, pair. city mayor, viable. So you know, some people want to say, well, let's connect everything in the US with high-speed rail. That doesn't work because we you know America has good road network for the smaller uh, distances, mm -hmm. and then it has a great air network for the longer distances. But the you know 500 mile uh, areas, you know 300, 500, 250, 700, you know something like that uh, between viable city pairs. That means large population areas that already have a lot of existing transportation between them, and then to unify them. And why would you want to do that? Because if you look around the world, economic vitality is centered on cities and regions. You know, the U.S. Northeast Corridor is 20% of the economic vitality of the United States. Chicago area, likewise. Dallas, Houston, likewise. So, uh, and in and in L.A., San Francisco. Yeah. L.A., San Francisco. If you look at in Australia, 80%. Uh, the economic activity is in the Melbourne Sydney corridor, and 20% of the population. So I might have that wrong, but the 
but the point is that the economic vitality of the country is there. And if you think about Japan, people say Japan Inc. What does that mean? It means the Tokyo Osaka corridor. And why is that corridor so strong? It's because there's a bullet train connecting the two. What about China? You know, China, Shanghai, Shanghai, uh, out to other cities. They're all now connected by bullet trains. So it's really these, the economic activity of a country is really focused around city pairs and growing those. So if you, in the Australia case, if you take a city in Melbourne, they're like Tokyo, Osaka many years ago. Sydney and Melbourne are still playing, you know, intramurals. They're still talking about Australian rules versus rugby when they should be thinking about what is Australia's brand? What's Australia's face to the world? And Australia used to be services. I'm sorry, Australia used to be resources, minerals, but the future of Australia is in services. And where are services concentrated? Sydney and Melbourne. And how do you unify that? And how do you make that to, to their advantage? They need to, to unify together as one economic area and face outward. So the future for to drive Australia's well, resources will still be important. Food production will be really important. But Sydney, Melbourne as an entity combined will really be dramatic. And that's why uh, Mumbai and Ahmedabad want to run. Most Americans, maybe Australians don't know about Ahmedabad, but it's a very thriving city. It's where the prime minister comes from. He was the governor of that Gujarat, that area there. It's the head of the diamond trade and world diamond trade between those two cities, unifying those will really double the, the GDP of that area, which, you know, Mumbai is the biggest city and uh, biggest business city in, in India. Um, so, you know, Delhi, Mumbai, Singapore, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore by itself is not big enough at 6 million people to really be economically competitive. It needs to be uh, connected by uh, Malaysia and by having a one flight an hour, they have lots of people going back and forth, but if you can have a train, you, know, you can have the express train, but you can also have stops in between to, to spread people out. Australia mm -hmm. has a need to spread the settlement. Between, Absolutely. Between and that's Sydney a COVID issue too. It's a COVID issue. So you have the express train that doesn't make the stops and followed by like, you know, I'm sure you've been to Japan, you know, they have the express train on the same track. Then they have the local train that makes every stop. And so you run them at different times and you schedule a skip service and you can connect the in-between cities with the major city. And this makes so much sense for Australia. It makes so much sense on the Northeast corridor. And uh, Dallas to Houston is trying to do that. California, a little bit difficult because they're going through the Central Valley in California and it's gonna, it's gonna really help the Central Valley, Fresno and those places be connected to the to LA and San Francisco, but it's not gonna take the business travelers uh, that wanna go between San Francisco and LA because they're going through the Central Valley and the time and the frequency of train isn't sufficient, but it'll, it'll really make the Central Valley be connected and will have an economic impact on the, on the Central Valley with the rest of the state. So anyway, just think about it from transport, transformation is really the key. All right, uh, now, who are the leaders? I suppose the Chinese are the leaders in this space. Uh, domestically, the number one country is China. Um, they have done amazingly well in building out their high-speed rail infrastructure. They've moved quickly. They've got uh, they they got the technology from Japan and from Germany to build their trains. They've made 
uh, improvements, which they call theirs. Other people might say they copied it, but they, uh, they have very good trains. They have very good system. Um, and they have the largest number of uh, miles, uh, passenger miles now in the world. Japan arguably has the most profitable railroads. Um, they, uh, all of the big four high-speed rail operators are profitable and uh, they run, you know, the Tokyo Osaka quarter runs more people than any other quarter in the world. One bullet train with a thousand people on it every four minutes at rush hour, leaving Tokyo, going to Osaka. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Europeans, Spanish have the largest number of miles uh, there. They're a high-speed rail superpower, I would say. France with the TJV and Germany with the ICE. So they- uh, What was England? Uh, England doesn't really, England is trying to build something called HS2, yeah. uh, which would go connect uh, London to uh, Birmingham. Uh, it's got a lot of trouble in the construction and the costs and everything, um, but it'll get built. And uh, so they, then they have the channel, you know, the, the, channel, yeah. the, channel, the, the channel, there's, there's a whole question of the speed and what makes something high-speed rail. Um, you know, true high-speed rail probably is uh, speaking in kilometers, which is harder per hour, which is harder for Americans to grasp, but something above 250 kilometers per hour, um, a little more than, let's say, 200, 180 miles per hour uh, would be considered true high-speed rail. Estella, at its fastest point, goes 150, so that would be considered the higher end of higher-speed rail which Australia calls fast rail. So Australia has no plan for true high-speed rail. Really? Why not? No, because they're only talking about fast rail. And, so and, fast and the rail- reason for that? Is it because they an don't existing want track or what? Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you want the benefit of high-speed rail, the key to the success of the benefit is frequency and safety. Mm -hmm. If you have one train an hour, and it's not reliable. In other words, the train breaks down or it's got an issue yeah. or you got accidents yeah. or whatever, nobody will, nobody will ride it. But if you have one train every 10 minutes and you have zero accidents in 20 years with Japanese case, it's not because the Japanese are meticulous and perfect. It's because the infrastructure is dedicated, has no level crossing. So California will is gonna ride on existing infrastructure. So it'll have to slow down going into LA and into San Francisco and people say, well, it's cheaper. Well, it's not really cheaper in the long run. It's cheaper in the near run, but it's much, much better if they would have tunneled under LA and underneath San Francisco to, on the entry side and had their, had their train so they could maintain speed. Because once you have to go down to 40 miles per hour to enter LA and enter San Francisco, then the whole system backs up and your frequency goes down and then you don't get people to divert and depend on the rail. So if you can't depend on it, then people won't, you know, they'll have to hedge, but you know, in, in Japan and certain places in Europe, you can, you know, that's guaranteed. Your train is more than, I think our delay last year, average delay last year was two, two years ago. Last year was COVID, so not very much, but is about four, uh, four tenths of a minute. So what's that, you know? Anyway, it's very, it's, it's just you know, nothing. 4 it's nothing. And that, that includes all the delays for typhoons and hurricanes. That, wow. On time delay for Amtrak is within 30 minutes, it's considered on time. 
that's ridiculous for a train. You know, you have to be able to plan. You know, so frequency of service, reliability, and safety only come from having a totally dedicated high-speed rail infrastructure. That's what makes it more expensive. So, but if you don't have that, you're not planning for the future. You're just you're just catching up with the past. Well, tell me, you know, people say uh, I can go to Melbourne by air. I'll be there in an hour. It's really three hours. But by the time we get to the airport and do all this stuff, there's not little, little friction there. But if I need a heart transplant, that's way too much. If I'm dealing with some kind of high-speed financial transaction, that's way too much. Furthermore, why should we have the world's best heart specialist in every city when one would do who could go up and down the coast? Right? It's right. more efficient. Right. So <laughs> is, this a, is this a resource issue that if you have a country and you want to spread the resources, this train is much better than building new hospitals? Well, that's a, you know, that's a debate for politicians to have. But a train is uh, having a train in a country like Australia is a path for future economic growth and future security. Because you, as you say, you can spread people out along the alignment and you can unify that region, make it one strong economic uh, growth area. And that for, for the future of Australia also, you know, if you want to double, if you have a dedicated line and you have, let's say you have a, a uh, 10 car train and you have a station that accommodates 10 cars, but in the beginning, you only need eight cars. Okay, but you build the station to 10. And you want to double the capacity. Well, first, maybe you add two cars to that. So you have 10 car train, but you want to double the capacity Instead of having one train every 20 minutes, you go to one train every 10 minutes because the software can do it and you automatically have doubled the capacity. And you want to go to one train every, you know, you want to double it again, then go to one train every five minutes. The software, everything can manage that. So you can, you can grow to the future with a dedicated line. It's going to be safe, reliable, on time. And Australians can do it. You know, a lot of things, people say, well, Australians can't do it. Well, look at the service of, you know, Qantas and you know the airline services. So you build this out, and the natural partner for high-speed rail is not existing railroad infrastructure and existing railroad people because they're used to slower speeds. And if you don't fix it tomorrow, today you can fix it tomorrow. But it's the airline people, Qantas service levels. You don't have a problem, a problem, a safety problem. They won't fly with a safety problem. They know about on-time safety and uh, safety and on-time and service. So you've got to build to a standard that maintains safety, service, reliability, and that would be the airline. So it's like in the US, you say, well, how can we expect Amtrak to do it? Well, you don't expect Amtrak to do it. You train people, a new group of people coming from the retired military or younger guys from the military that have been maintaining jet airplanes or people in the airline services, the business in the airline, and help them adapt to the rail technology, safety first, on-time customer service. When Taiwan built their high-speed rail, which is a beautiful high-speed rail network in Taiwan, yes, they routinely get 95% customer satisfaction, the highest service level of any organization in Taiwan has customer satisfaction. And they took their people from airlines. Evergreen Airlines was one of the original owners in the Evergreen Group took their people, they closed the United base during the time they were building it, the United Airlines um, 
flight attendant base. And so the, the, they hired a bunch of those flight attendants to be their service managers and even station managers. They trained them how to be station managers. Well, those people from the airlines know about customer service. They know how to be customer facing. They know safety is important. So the culture of safety, customer service, on time, you know, that's what that's what's got to build. So it's a transfer, it can have a transformational effect on your whole service economy as well. Yeah. People are, people have really dumbed down their expectations. They know oh, the train's going to be late, it's going to break down. You know, I got to go a little bit early because it might happen. Well, what if you had what if you, you know, 99% of the time that train is going to be on time and never going to have an accident, and people are going to be friendly. And it changes the whole way you think about your whole day. You know, it's a transformational effect of doing oh, it. Oh, it did for me when I was living in Japan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in Kyoto, but mm. all the advantages of Tokyo. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, I, I, right. I did, I think I stayed overnight once in Tokyo. Uh, I didn't need to. And me too, right? And I love the small town environment. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. I, so you're saying it's transformational. Uh, certainly, yeah. Dallas, Houston makes sense. Uh, LA, they're not doing it the right way. What are some of the other connectors in the United States and Australia? Uh, could we go to Brisbane, for example, in Australia? Could we go to Perth? What makes right. sense? Well, the Okay, so let's take the Australia case first. Um, Sydney, so if I were building it, I would go, I'd have New South Wales lead because the New South Wales government is progressive in the transportation space. They've got great leadership. They, they're, they're on top of the situation. They know what's going on. And I would go Newcastle to Parramatta. Okay, the new yeah. city center, city center of Sydney. Two new city Parramatta. centers, yeah. Yes, you build an, and there's an opportunity to make it another central, right? And then you go from there to, uh, to Badgerys Creek, connect the new airport. Mm -hmm. And then you go from there to camp. I mean, you have in between stops too, but then you go to Canberra. Mm -hmm. So just like in Tokyo, you go to- Well, you stop in Goldberg. Wouldn't, wouldn't Goldberg be the stop? Yeah, you could stop. Well, yeah. Go go not on, on the express. On the express, yeah. you, you collect you know, Parramatta, Badgers Creek, because that's the connector for Western right. Sydney. And then you and you have subways going to be built there and other trains are going to be built there. So you collect there and then you go nonstop to melt to Canberra and you go to Canberra Airport. Uh -huh. Because then you can then you have airport to airport connector in case you have a problem, you can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go, then I would go, you know, tunnel under the mountains and come down into uh, go down to um, Tullamarine. And then underground from there, Telemarine to go somewhere, you can pick anywhere you want to in downtown Melbourne. But that would be kind of the express route. Then the local route, you know, you know, the Kodama route, the skip station, you can go Goldburn and other places like that. And so in the morning rush hour, you might have lots of those other trains running, you know, the express train goes through, and then you have two other the local trains picking everybody up, and then the express train goes through. So, you know, you can get the commuting. Um, help with the people living further away connecting and then the other really good corridor for new south wales is newcastle uh but i wouldn't go through the existing line because it's too curvy and tries yeah. to you know wind around those mountains you just got to tunnel through straight mm 
So everybody says, well, that's so expensive, but the price of tunneling is going down and it's going to go down in the future because it can. You know, there's just people put their minds to it and they'll find a way to make the tunneling cheaper. We got good tunneling so can, here, limestone. Yeah, and you, yeah, you're good at that. And so I would just go, you know, Newcastle and then, of course, uh, north of Newcastle, um, the area up there, still in New South Wales. Everybody wants to live there. It's beautiful, the vineyards and all that other stuff there. And that's another place that could be built out. And then, and then of course, you go up north there uh, in, into that other area up there in Brisbane. And Brisbane um, would be logical eventually. So it would be Bris you know, the East Coast one. Then if you want, you know, after you got, you have to establish people ridership and people get to say, I want this. And so then you go, you know, Canberra to Melbourne, then over to Adelaide would make sense. Going across the country, that doesn't really make sense because mm -hmm. you should fly. Yeah, there's no coupling there. Now, go to Perth, fly, you know. Um, there's no really coupling. And you could use a higher speed train, a fast train, you know, if you wanted to go up and down the West Coast of, uh, you know, in a, with Perth in the middle, go up and down the West Coast to connect the, the commuting distances. You know? But you have two viable city centers that you can unify and make one economic area, then it makes sense. Adelaide, Melbourne, eventually, you know, um, Newcastle, uh, and then up to up the coast. In the United States, I would say, um, if you could connect uh, Detroit and St. Louis to Chicago by a real high-speed train, so you could ride them within one hour, get to Chicago, you wouldn't have to put another dime to double the, double the land values of every house in St. Louis and Detroit. And bring those you know, cities back to bring, life. Bring those cities back to life. You know, St. Louis tried to compete in Detroit at one time with who's gonna be the biggest, you know, dog in the Midwest. Well, that race is done. That dog is chosen, it's Chicago. So what's your choice? You can just be out there by yourself and try to say, yeah, I'm just as good as Chicago or you can be part of Chicago. You know, people commute an hour to work in Chicago, right? Well, why not commute an hour by train in Chicago? You commute an hour by train from Detroit to Chicago. So you can have your law office in Detroit and be doing business with clients in Chicago. And it's no problem, no different. And so you- But that's happening now. I've been on the planes there. It's full of and, lawyers and accountants and so forth going between Chicago right, and Detroit. Right, but I mean, to bring them to, bring it together. Any, yeah, yeah no, together. I hear what you're saying. Makes sense. You connect the you you connect in between there you know and then you go to spring you know you have a Springfield, St. Louis Springfield up and Detroit and then Gary Indiana and into you know so for all the billions of dollars we try to do on urban renewal, doing the train, Detroit Gary Chicago, a real fast Japanese style dedicated line bullet train. You could put a European train there. I'm not. Uh, saying that they're bad. They're all good trains. The trains themselves are all good, you know. Um, so what's another I'm prejudiced, but I, you know, because I think the Japanese are level up. So I would say, uh, you know, there's, I would say Miami, uh, Miami uh, up the East Coast to, and then, or, you know, go into Orlando and then uh, Jacksonville. Of course, there already is a, a, a train, they call it high speed, but it's not, it's just, it doesn't go hundred miles an hour, but bright line down there. Um, but if you could connect those, you know, at an elevated train, not at grade, no trouble, you know, get people down there. Orlando is the largest tourist attraction in the world. 
and Miami is the capital of Latin America. So Orlando, Miami makes like as a total no brainer for a high speed train. And then Atlanta, if you could connect Atlanta to Orlando, you could go through Jacksonville or not. Um, so I would say, you know, for the United States, Atlanta to um, Atlanta to uh, uh, Orlando to there. Because if you look at the United States, we have about five world class, as I was talking about, city state cities yeah. and then countries that drive the economy. And you know, one of them is is the Orlando Atlanta corridor. And the other mm-hmm. Dallas Houston is the energy corridor of the world, mm-hmm. and then Northeast corridor, and then the Chicago hub, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then Pacific Northwest. So that's another one. Seattle uh, population. Seattle Portland. Seattle Portland Seattle Vancouver. Vancouver. You know, Portland Seattle Vancouver would be another perfect corridor, and more people would come and live there. Um, they don't want more people to come and live there, but point of fact is that if you built a train you know they would be that area um the central valley it's going to help them a lot and that'll help california spread the population out of the bay area and down there because if you can get to san francisco in an hour from fresno why not you know of course um and land values and everything being different you know um and then the uh i guess that's about it you know you could go with lesser speed trains, cheaper price in many places in the United States, but you don't need to try to connect the whole country with a network, you know. Um, and technologically, these trains are, are, you know, Hyperloop gets a lot of attention and it's got a lot of promise for the future, but there's a lot of engineering problems they have that they don't acknowledge that make Hyperloop a little bit much more uh, risky venture than People think you know it's great to run a train in a vacuum, but and the, of course without a without in a vacuum, if you have a, a, the energy required to move the train is significantly less. But how much energy does it take to maintain the vacuum? vacuum? Yes, the yeah, other thing how do you is hold an accident would be horrible. An accident would be horrible, but let's say you you you've eliminated the chance of an accident. But how do you get people in and out of the train normally? Because you've got to get them through the vacuum yeah. and how do you switch a train? And, you know, this, the curve radius is a function, a cube of the speed. So if you, I mean, if you double the distance, if you double the speed, then you have to cube the curve radius and that, that allows you, you know, to go, um, a small curve radius means you can wind better. A bigger curve radius means you have to go straighter. So for the, in the, in Japan, the bullet trains have a, of a 2000 meter curve radius. And then you double the speed to the maglev, which goes 500 kilometers an hour, 300 miles an hour. That means that that curve radius has to be 8,000 meters. And then if you double the speed to maglev, I mean, to hyperloop speed, then that means you've got to cube that. So that's 64,000, you know, you're up to 64,000 meters um, curve radius, which means they have to be straight. And then plus you can't do it on one tube. So there are, their photographs always only show one tube, but you got to come back. So they actually have two tubes. So that doubles the cost of what their infrastructure costs are going to be. And so they have a lot of technical issues and other things that they're not, you know, it's a, I call well, it. A, yeah, that, that's a, a leap. A train yeah. going faster is a jump. It's a know? jump and it's possible. It's a good, it's a possible it's a great jump. Idea. And people can imagine most of those trades have been on a high-speed train in Japan yeah. or Europe. It's not right. foreign to us, okay? Right. Most Americans 
they think the East Coast corridor is pretty high speed. When I'm in DC, I'm staying in New York. I don't book a room in DC. Because right. I go down, do my testifying for the Congress. I'm home for dinner. Right. You know? Right. So, and the Union Station is a testimony to that. Union Station yeah. is a conference center, basically. You meet all your mates there, you have lunch and dinner there, and you go back to Penn Station, and the new Penn Station is going to make it beautiful. Fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. fabulous. So, uh, I'm going to call Joe about this and see if you can put another trillion in the budget. <laughs> Joe's That's into true. it. Joe's a train man. You know, Joe, uh, the president is really a train man, and he's, he's on to it. Uh, yeah. I think we don't have to convert him. No, he's a trained guy, and the and the you know he, he as president, as everybody knows, he rode Amtrak. Yeah. And um, so then we have a northeast corridor uh, high speed maglev solution, which goes 300 miles an hour, that we're working with FRA to do that would complement what's going on in the northeast corridor and free up the corridor to take more, have more trains on it by shifting that, and that project will eventually have something to do with Amtrak, not clear politically what it will be in the future, but that will really strengthen the- Will that be a private uh, sector train operation? Well, it's being developed privately right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's getting some funding, you know, to first lay Baltimore to Washington in 15 minutes. Um, it would stop at BWI and then it would go to Wilmington, Delaware. So Wilmington, Delaware would become 25 minutes to DC and then another 35 minutes from Wilmington, Delaware to New York, yeah, you know, so you could go, Washington, on the express, you go Washington DC to Philadelphia to New York in under an hour uh, by Maglev. You know, we have so to be that, careful with this. Joe will move the capital to Wilmington. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is anyway. Yeah. yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. You know, he's uh, he's really he's great. You know, he's yeah, really he's, doing a good job, and yeah, he gets so. uh, he gets attacked on both sides. But uh, well, it gets yeah, attacked really for not going fast enough. Yeah, that's the he gets, attack. Uh, he's trying to he's trying to thread a needle, you know. Yeah. And, so, uh, what do you, what's your what's your forecast? We're gonna uh, do our outer here in a few minutes. Uh, is your forecast for Australia and the United States? What's going to happen? Or would you what? Look, put it a different way. What would you like to happen? And what's there? How could happen? That's a that's a really good question, Ed. I I would like I've thought a lot about the Australia case because Australia is my um, one of my favorite countries in the world, and I really love going down there, and I love the people, uh, and I really like what's going on with with Premier Brigitte Lian and her team. Mm -hmm. And I think the the two things I would recommend: number one is the federal government should work with Victoria and um, New South Wales and lay down the high-speed rail route. Right. And you, know, you can politically argue what those stops should be, but I laid out what I think they ideally should be. Um, they really should focus on city centers right. and airports and be as straight as possible. Right. Because if you, can, if you can connect some of the airports along the, the major airports along the way, then you can have a backup in case the planes you're fogged out in Canberra, you can hop on the train and get to Melbourne, you know, or you can use, you can, you can fly international flights out of, uh, 
you know, Tunnel Marine, or Badgery's yeah. Creek. Badgery's Creek. And so you can, you know, it gives you so much more flexibility if you can do that. But make it as straight as possible and lay it down straight and challenge people to work on the tunneling and the cost down. You're going to have to tunnel. And people say, oh, that's so expensive. But by the time you get done arguing- They were tunneling all over town right now. Yeah, I know. And underneath Sydney, it's like, it's a mess. But cheaper than arguing over rights away and everything above. You know, in Japan, 40 meters and below the land is free. In Australia, you could say 30 meters and below the land is free if in the national interest. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway, so so that's the the number one. Yeah, right. lie down the line so that you know where fast rail connects. Okay. Right. So that way you can plan out everything around that instead of trying to have high speed rail catch up with fast rail. You you put it down and make sure the fast rail connects at the nodes. Right. right. So that's number one. I lay that down. And then number two is I I give money to New South Wales to start building out one leg. And get them. I give them some support on the infrastructure cost. Okay. And then you know try to do that. So that would be my initial. Go. I could give what, you a couple. What about the U.S.? Time. In the U.S., I think that the, what the U.S. needs to do is to streamline its EIS processes, if they can, to help uh, make things a little bit faster on the environmental side. And tunneling helps a lot. If you can tunnel, you know, you can you clear a lot, a lot of, of stuff. A lot of stuff. But EIS should take a year. But in the U.S., it's hard to get an EIS done in a year. It takes two or three years to get it done. So that really slows down things. So number one, number two, I would set up a, if I was, you know, if I was king, I'd put that trillion dollars, I wouldn't need a trillion. I'd, every year I'd probably need about, you know, a couple hundred billion in the beginning into an infrastructure bank that is separate or an infrastructure fund that is separate from the, the yearly budget allocation. So you don't have to spend it all in one year and it can sit there and it can invest. So then that entity then builds out the infrastructure for high-speed rail or for any sort of other rail transportation. And then the ridership fees and things like that should, if they're not burdened by the building out costs, should be able to break even. So then you lease the line that you've built with this infrastructure fund to the private sector operator who then operates that line and the government, local governments or state governments don't have to pay the ridership guarantee on that. You know, so if Amtrak wasn't burdened by its infrastructure costs, it'd be very profitable. So you built, I'm not saying that Amtrak should have somebody else maintain the infrastructure. No, the, the operator should maintain the infrastructure because that holds responsibility, sure. unifies responsibility, and they can't blame somebody else's fault. But the construction cost of the infrastructure, if that could be borne by the federal government, and then the government takes equity position in the operating company. And when that company starts to make money that they can sell their stake in and it goes back into that. This would work in Australia. Like Qantas. Work, uh, like like Qantas. Qantas. Australia is privatizing its uh, infrastructure. So right, like Qantas, they originally have government money, then they sell it off, they get the money back and you replenish this bank. Right. And I think, right. that, I think that would work. So you're talking so about could, the East Coast in this case for most of this infrastructure. Well. No, you could put it, anybody could apply for it. No, I, I'm talking about your forecast. The East Coast would be the next best bet or? Yeah, the first, I, well, what I would do, you know, basically, I would spend money on the Chicago hub, Detroit, Chicago hub. St. That's Louis. That's interesting. Yeah. It would do more for the nation, would it? It would do more for the nation and it would do more for healing the nation. Yeah, that's what I'm talking you about. Know, to, to, 
Yeah, because, you know, like, in look, if you think about it in London, if they would have started to build H2 from Manchester South, you wouldn't have had Boris Johnson elected. But, you know, the, by building it from the London area north, you know, all the criticism goes against London. So you build stuff in the Northeast quarter, great. We need to do that. It's the economic center of the United you know, States and we make most densest people. It's a no brainer. But you go Chicago to St. Louis, but build from St. Louis to Chicago, build from Detroit to Chicago, you know, yes. have the train start in those places and go north and make it a true high speed. I don't care if it's European or who makes it, but don't use existing infrastructure because you can't get speed and you can't get frequency and you can't get uh, you know, you can't get all the advantages of high speed. You're building for future generations. You're building for 100 years, 200 years. So don't compromise on, oh, it costs too much. We need to use existing infrastructure. No, build dedicated line. Build it to European standards so Europeans can compete on it. But European, Japan can run on European standards, but, but, but Europeans can't run on Japanese standards because the Japanese standards are lighter and European trains are heavier. But anyway, so just build it to these standards, build the infrastructure lines and let people compete on the train lines. But that's what I would make a priority. I'd make the Chicago hub the priority. Minneapolis, okay, go Minneapolis to Chicago. Yeah. So that would be Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit. You know, that would mean, that, that would send a big signal. You know? Yes, this, that's is, what I would do. this is the uh, kind of, in everyone's interest. Yeah. And, and everyone heal the nation. Right. I think it's, I like it. you got to make, yeah, yeah. And, and it's giving jobs, it's giving jobs and it's infrastructure jobs. Right. And it's going to take 10 or 15 years. Yeah, there'll be a lot of jobs. And there'll be a there'll lot be of jobs. Job. So start, start building there and make a dedicated line, elevated or tunneled, you know, above the roads or below the roads, you know, and go as straight sense. as you can. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, we used to have people in the United States who thought that way. Uh, they built railroads across the nation. They built canals. Uh, they believed in building. I don't know where they went, but I'm going to try to get them back. I think Joe <laughs> Biden is number one. And uh, maybe the people listening to this will be uh, in there supporting them now that they know. Thanks so much, Torkel. You're welcome, Ed. Subscribe wherever you find Pacific Conversations as a podcast to make sure you don't miss out on our next conversation. For more, check out the website edtalks.com.au and for weekly US news and current affairs, there's Ed and I's other podcast, US of Ed, wherever good podcasts are found.